last time I preached, which was in October, I preached on the first couple of verses of Philippians 1. And so I introduced to you a letter, right? This letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote while he was in a prison to this church that he started on his second missionary journey. We talked about his past. We talked about his miraculous conversion, right? And then the road to Damascus, just super crazy calling his life and this struggle here on earth, preaching and teaching the gospel and all the opposition that he faced. And that despite all of his kind of bad circumstances in light of the gospel, he writes this letter in a positive light. He writes a letter of encouragement, a letter of thanksgiving to this group of people. And so we start, as shared, starting in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'll be honest, when I was doing my Bible time, I was struggling and frustrated with myself in my own sin. God, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I choosing to do these things that I know are not of your will? Help me. I, I don't want to feel bad about this, even though it's probably a good thing. But how do I change how do I change myself? And I was just down. In reading that, I, I felt like I was in a seat of the Philippian church getting this letter from Paul. And he says, and I felt God say to me, uh, in my heart at least, Juan, you're not finished because I'm not finished with you. And I just sat there, I cried, I listened to that, and I read it over and over, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to receive that. I don't feel it, but I'm going to receive it because that's what you told me. And so it's such a simple encouragement from Paul, but that's just how the letter starts. And so today I want to pick right back up where we left off, starting in verse 7. But before we do that, would you mind if I open in prayer? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father God, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for men like Paul who are faithful to uh, the calling on their life to spread the gospel, that we might see words of encouragement like this, letters like this. God, thank you for Root River Church and Pastor Scott and Beth for their faithfulness, just like Paul's, that they're serving you by loving us and bringing the word to us day after day. Thank you for your word this morning. I pray that today that you would teach us, Lord, that you would help us get this passage right, that you would bring us to the right understanding, Father God, that we would leave today knowing exactly what this passage is about. So give us grace to do that and be honored by our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to continue in verse 7, okay? We're going to have it on the screen. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So I want to go verse by verse and just talk through what I found in my research here, okay? Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The first phrase that I want to talk through is hold you in my heart. And I know a lot of these parts of the verses will be simple or look simple, but I feel like there's things to gather from these phrases. So hold you in my heart. And I think this has a little more significance because Paul, like Scott, started a church in an area that was 
relatively unchurched. There were no Jews in the area. But Paul started this church, and so I feel like there's got to be a special connection there. He pastored these people, just like Scott pastors us. And so coincidentally, this heart that's used in here, hold you in my heart, is the same heart that Scott preached on last week. It's cardia. And Scott, I don't know where you're at, but if I get any of these words wrong, you feel free to call me out and tease me about that, but I'm going to try to say the words properly. But cardia, like he said, it's our interpreter of the scripture. It's the minds of our heart. It's what we use to turn to sin or from sin. In Ephesians 1.18, when Paul prays for the church, he says this, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Not our emotion, not our feelings, not uh, what's inside of us boiling up. It's what we know in our hearts about truth. He says that. It's cardia. It's also the same cardia that's in Scripture talking about Judas when he betrays Jesus. John 13, 2, it says, During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Tells us that our cardia is what either drives us to full understanding and running to Jesus or not. It's that head knowledge and heart knowledge. Paul, with all his faith and righteousness, deeply cares about this church. It's very evident, and he says it time and time again through this first chapter. But it's like if Scott had to leave Root River Church... After preaching the gospel to us for two years, he tries to go to another city. He gets arrested for it. And Sunday after Sunday, we come here. You'd have to be listening to me preach. But Sunday after Sunday, we're like, where is our pastor? Our pastor is in prison. Like we hear this news and we're, we're praying for him and we're longing for him. And we have this affection for him. We've been here for two years with him. And all of a sudden we get a letter. I have to believe that we would be intently listening to that letter. We would be staring at whoever was reading it word for word. We would study it. I'm sure just like Paul, he would give us instruction and still try to pastor us and give us words of encouragement in Scripture. But there's a special connection here. I hold you in my heart is strong language. There's a deeper connection. Next phrase. Partakers with me of grace. Not just the grace God has shown them, the church in Philippi, Not just the grace of what God did in them when they started this church in Philippi. But Paul is saying is, while I'm in prison, you still are supporting me. The struggle I faced for so long while I preached and teached the gospel to all the nations and found opposition, you're now going through that. You're defending the gospel just as I did. And I'm convinced that we're in this together. We're teammates. We're partners. You're partakers of me with grace. Paul is seeing evidence and he's so convinced of God's work in and through them that he wants to encourage them about that, reassure that, reaffirm them. And you feel like that's strong enough language to just be done and move on, but he continues as if they need further reassurance. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Stronger language here. I love that Paul uses that first phrase there, for God is my witness. I feel like if you're going to call down the creator of the universe to be a witness for you and to take your side, you better be on it. You better be having your ducks in a row and be in truth and in righteousness. And so the fact that Paul uses this tells us how confident he is in this Philippian church, how aligned with God's will that he believes they're in and how aligned he is himself in God's will. Next phrase, yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. This word for affection 
is the other word for heart that Scott mentioned last week in his sermon too. And I just want to pause really quick. So I do Bible studies with Daniel on Mondays. We've been doing that probably for a month now. And I really enjoy that time. But after Scott's sermon last week, you know, we had been part of Philippians already. And so I knew that I was going to have to preach this morning. And so I was like, well, Daniel, here's the passage. If we do Bible study, let's do it on this passage because I'm going to need some help. And sure enough, both of those Greek words that Scott preached beforehand were going to be in today's message. And I looked at Daniel here right after the sermon. I was like, wow, God, like who would have thought like this is a similar message. This is the same verbiage, the same language. Like there's something here, Lord, help us receive this. We were excited about it, and surely we we studied for for a number of hours on it. But it's the same, it is the same word, and that word is splanknon. Hopefully I got that right. Splanknon. This is, like Scott said, their bed of emotions. It's their emotional conviction, his emotional conviction for the Philippian church. He's moved and emotional about them, just like Jesus might be for us. He longs for them, is the definition. He's longing for them. He yearns. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, these next couple passages of Philippians, next verses, are super important because they're dependent upon one another. They're distinguished from one another in the right order, so it's important that we know what comes from what and where it comes from, okay? First word, love. What's interesting is that Paul uses this love in almost all of his letters, in Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and First Corinthians. We see the same word. Guy loves love. Thank you. We need it. But it's the word agape, right? Like Scott said, he's not asking God for more emotion for these people. He's not asking God for more feeling or attraction for these people for one another or for other things. He's not asked to be more sentimental. He's not asking for earthly or worldly loves. He's asking for divine love, that their love would be a love of purity, will, and of sacrifice, that it would cost them something to love others, agape love. And Paul wants it never to end. He says, abound more and more. And this word abound is, right, it's abundance. It's overflow. It's overfilled. It's lavishly given. He wants it to abound more and more and more and more, this love. I just don't ever want it to end for you. And it's not a love for themselves, but Jesus Christ. And of you, and of you, and of you. It's like he's writing to us, guys, love each other at Root River Church. And not just a, Bob, I, you're a great guy, I love you. It's like, a, when you're in need, I will show up for you. If you're hurt, I will preach to you. If you're down and out, I will come help you and rescue you with the love of Christ in my heart for you. It's divine love. He wanted God's love to permeate everywhere between everyone. And it's powerful, but that love doesn't come from just anywhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. I don't say, God, bring love down, and then love. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't just appear. Paul says it comes from two things, knowledge and all discernment. This word knowledge means precise, means correct knowledge of things both ethical and divine. It's spiritual. We see this love. We hear this love. We feel this love. We taste this love. It's real, full, true knowledge at the deepest level of understanding that no matter any opposition you might face, nobody could sway you from that deep understanding. Our love for God and others shouldn't be controlled by our emotions, but rather by the truth of the scriptures. Now, I'm going to be honest. Listen, if I love people in my life, 
or even here with my emotion, I would be a very lonely guy. And then I feel I'm just being transparent. My love is not perfect. I will be impatient. I will be sinful. I will get angry. I will be frustrated. I will say things that don't align with Scripture. But with Jesus in my heart and his love, that can change. Romans 10, 2, 3. Paul criticizes the Israelites, and this is kind of just to show you uh, that this love, this knowledge that we think we might have is not, not the right love that we need. We need it to align with knowledge. It says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, right? They're chasing after God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Tells us that love without knowledge, true knowledge, is not valuable. He criticizes Israelites. We cannot establish our own righteousness. We can't define for ourselves what righteousness looks like. There is righteousness that comes from God, and we either align with it or we do not. And the, the dangerous part of our society is that our society tells us our feelings, our emotions are 100% validated. That if somebody offends you, you get to be angry. But the gospel gives me a different message. It tells me otherwise. That a proper understanding of God and his word will 100% lead us to transformation. We shouldn't be driven by feeling. We should be driven by instruction. And that's hard to receive because it's hard to overcome your emotion, especially if oftentimes you've sold yourself to it, which I myself have been a victim of. That has been part of my sinful nature, to choose that emotion over to choose that instruction of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And here's why. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so, as a result, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. First phrase, approve what is excellent. This is to test, to examine, to scrutinize the things of the world and to be able to distinguish them apart from Jesus Christ or not. Excellent meaning God's will. Not just asking, is this good or is this harmful, but asking instead, Of the good, which is best. This requires both knowing and both loving. Leads us to being able to approve. To approve of the things. To align with the things. When I looked up the Greek word, which I cannot pronounce, the definition also said, often used as prove. Being able to prove. Saying, I will prove that. And as a result, the Bible says, that last phrase, we'll see ourselves pure and blameless. Now, when I read this, right, I'm already struggling with the things I know I do that don't align with the word of God. I already know my sins and my struggles, and I see the words pure and blameless, and I ask myself, how in the world could Juan be pure and blameless? I'm sure I thought, too, how could so-and-so also be pure and blameless? But more so, I thought, how could I be pure and blameless? So I asked God that. What does this mean, pure and blameless? It could mean two things. Am I pure and blameless? Because Jesus says I am. Like by association, I'm pure and blameless. Another way could be, am I pure and blameless because he works it out in me and it's a tangible, real, actual thing by association or a reality? And I feel like I settled on one. In the verses leading up to this, it's very clear. Love, real thing. Knowledge, a real thing in me. Discernment, a thing that's produced as a part of that. 
Being able to approve, that's a real thing. And so for me, I absolutely have to believe that this is exactly the same thing. That it's a real thing that I can become pure and blameless. And there's a small example here that Paul uses later in Philippians. He says, do all things without grumbling and disputing, which are both real things inside of us, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. Have to believe that this is no different. Pure and blameless is a real thing in me as it's etched out in this passage. We can become pure and blameless. But then I had another question because I'm like, okay, God, I can become pure and blameless, but I know that there's things that I'm still doing that's not very pure and not very blameless. So I asked another question. Does this mean I'm perfect? Does pure and blameless mean sinless? And the answer is no. And Paul answers this later for us in the letter, Philippians 3, 12 through 13. He says, not that I have already obtained this or already am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It means that our hearts are in the right place. Our posture before God is proper. It's of humility. It's understanding his truths and and where I relate into it. In our hearts, as we discover our sin, we confess it. We wage war against it. We hate it. And at the same time, while hating our sin, we pursue the opposite end of that, which is holiness and righteousness. And we seek to please the Lord in everything, even though we fail. I'll still press on. It means that, later in the verse, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. That's really simple. We end up producing righteousness. We get in right standing with God as a result of that. We're obedient. Now that word fruit of righteousness, that phrase, really draws my attention to something that we found in John earlier last year. John 15, 4 through 5. Gives us a perfect analogy. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, we don't have it. But with Jesus, we can have it. It's not on our own. It's not us, even though it's through us because of Jesus Christ. But it's, it's not us. All of that, everything that we said, pure and blameless, love, approving what is excellent, all of these things are for one purpose. And this is a theme you see all throughout Scripture. It's to the glory and praise of God. Not for your glory, not for your praise, not for you to look good or us to look like a strong church or us to look like a good Christian. It's for God, 100% for God. All that we talked about, again, that love the knowledge, discernment, approval of excellent things, and producing righteousness, it's for one thing for our good works to bring praise and glory to God, and not just amongst believers, but for the unbelievers. Now, I want to respond to some of this. But before I do, I feel like there's one passage that really sums up, really sums up this passage that we're in today. It takes us to a better understanding. It took me to a better understanding. I toiled over this passage, and I, was just, I just kept reading in my Bible, and I, I finally found a verse, that, or a number of verses, that I felt completely explains what Paul's saying. And it so happens to be what Paul says to the Colossian church. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. And here are the ways. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is Christian life right here. This is our sanctification process. This is us etching out our faith. This is the step-by-step how we can move forward in righteousness. This is the step-by-step way for us to be on track with what God is doing, to be about His will. Root River Church, this is what I felt God was telling me. Scott brought us through the whole book of John over two years. Week after week, we studied the life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his ministry, his miracles, his death, and his miraculous resurrection. We encountered strong head knowledge, and our minds were enlightened. We were exposed to the deep truths of God, and it's important more now than ever, church, that as we enter into this new book of Ephesians that Scott started, with Scott leading the way for us to take that head knowledge and receive it to take everything that Scott's been bringing to us and actually apply it. Not just be here on Sunday mornings and being listeners of God's word, but being doers of it instead. To apply it, to allow ourselves to be corrected, one, by God, but two, by the people in our lives that are bringing the word to us through Jesus Christ, through his actions and through his love. To focus on the preaching of God's word and to allow ourselves, here it is, to transition from head head knowledge to a deeper spiritual understanding that happens in your heart that gets you to a point where you cannot be shaken. As you begin to do that, you're going to find yourself more understanding of his commands. You're going to find yourself being more obedient. You'll be challenging yourself to love others, to be more sacrificial, to keep foul language out of your mouth, to treat the people that are frustrating in your life right, to show that Christ-like love. You'll find yourself being more sensitive to his will for you this day and the next. You'll find yourself caring about how you present yourself in alignment with the scriptures, truly testing yourself over and over to see if you're on the right track. You'll be able to attest and approve what's necessary for your love to abound more and more, as Paul prays. And as a result, you'll be pure and blameless for our king. My heart for you, church, my heart for us, my heart for me, my heart for Scott and Beth, is that we take that seriously. And I know that's Scott's heart. He's been preaching it to us week after week for these last two and a half years. That we never stop this pursuit with Jesus Christ, that we would transition from head knowledge to a deep heart knowledge. That's what I have for you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you that we have your word to study in our language. Thank you that it's not illegal to worship you in this country. We thank you that we have the freedom to, to preach and teach the gospel to, to everywhere. Thank you for doing what you've done all through history. We thank you for men like Paul, who could care less about his physical and earthly circumstances, that he would preach the gospel till he's blue in the face. Father God, thank you for Root River Church's lead pastor, 
Scott Harms, that he shares that same faith as Paul, that I, I wholeheartedly believe if he were in prison, he would be writing us letters, still trying to preach to us and to encourage us. Thank you that we're, we're being led in a direction that honors you, God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us correction. Thank you, Lord, for the word that brings us to more love, a word that brings us to righteousness, to be pure and blameless for you, God, and not just for us, but for those on this earth that are unbelievers, God. Give us faith. Give us strength, God. Give us grace to understand and receive the scriptures as you so intended. I pray, God, as we transition to a time of worship, God, that we spend this time reflecting on our walk with you, that we identify what's good and bad in our lives, we identify what's of you and what's not, and that we plead with you to help us get rid of it. That we leave here on a Sunday morning, instead of just listening, that we would go home and we would open our Bibles and study and study so that we know more of you and in you and through you so that it can lead us to heart change, God. I don't want to be the way I am. I want to be better. I want to be in alignment with your will. And my prayer, God, is that it it happens for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.